Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode here on Sticks and Bones with your ghost host, Chelsea and 10. Hi, 10. How are you? What's going on? I'm doing good. You know, it's, oh my gosh, it's Easter this weekend. And the only reason I'm bringing this up is because- Well, it'll be, this episode will be airing after Easter. After yes. Easter. For us, um, Easter's coming up. So I think Easter Monday is a thing. Correct me if I'm wrong, everybody out there. I have not gone to CCD or church in quite some time. It is, I know, in the South. Okay. So I do know, I forget like what branch or sect of Christianity does it, but- um, we're going to Kevin's grandmother's house this weekend. And I love this time of the year. I personally do not practice Easter, but his grandmother every year gets us the Gertrude Hawk smidgen. Yes. Yes. And she hooks me up. Nancy has my butt every single year with the chocolate caramel smidgens. I'm here for it. And you have to save some for me because. Oh, I put them in the freezer. My mom still does Easter baskets for me and my brother, even though I'm 30. Um, but I was on the phone with her last a few days ago, and she was like, she was like, no one comes home anymore, so I'm not getting you Easter baskets. And I was like, don't you dare hold Easter baskets over my head like that. So, don't you dare hold them hostage. Don't you dare, Kelly. <laughs> so um, I did guilt trip her, and she's like, all right, fine, I'm getting Easter baskets this year. So uh, I love it. Like my mom actually hides them in oh our my God, stop. Like, no, she still does that. Um, and me and my brother have to find them. And it's so funny. Cause like, obviously I'm 30. So she's done this for how long, you know, we're running out of hiding spots. <laughs> Do you get like, is it like a scavenger hunt? Do you get like clues no. or is it just like a straight? great mad dash for chocolate no so we both get our own baskets and then we wake up and my mom was like oh the easter bunny came and um it's hiding in some years i could not find my basket like i would get so annoyed like one time she put it on top of like something that i couldn't see um and she always gets us candy and just like fun little things and i love jelly beans so mm. it's the one time year i eat jelly beans and yeah, while I, well, you know what I do, I do practice Easter now, now that I'm back into Italian folk, but not in the way that you like, you guys think, you know, I'm not, I'm not a prayers type of gal, not a prayer yeah, yeah, yeah. really, I don't really like to go to church. So I celebrate in my own way where I just kind of acknowledge the day, but my Italian family, man, Easter mm -hmm. is a huge fucking deal. Yeah. Like seven course meal. Mm. It's very, um. It's kind of like, I always think like Italian gatherings are kind of spiritual in their own sense because yeah, yeah, yeah. there's so much food, alcohol, everyone's getting together. Energy. Energy. Um, and we have like a bunch of different types of things that we eat that are actually part of Italian, like Catholicism. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah. There's just one thing. I can't remember the name that it's called, but it's bread and has an egg in the middle and no one actually eats it. It just like symbolizes rebirth. Cause it's an egg. Right. Yeah. And it symbolizes Jesus coming back from the dead and, um, no one eats it though. So like, I don't know what it actually tastes like, but I know for dessert, the bread with the egg in it is always just sitting on the table and I don't even know what it's about. No idea. <laughs> No idea. Still, still have questions 30 years later. No, no idea. Like my whole life just kind of grown up with that. And it's just like a thing. And then we also, um, I know St. Joseph's day was a while ago, but sometimes like we'll have St. Joseph's pastries and that's a thing. Like, I don't, have you ever heard of St. Joseph's pastries? No. What kind of delectable goods are we talking about? Man. So we also, my family celebrates St. Joseph's day very heavily, um, okay. on Sunday 
And like I said, more in the Italian folk sense, not really the religious sense, but you Mm -hmm. go to your local bakery and they make these big cream pastries and they only make them once a year. Oh, okay. To celebrate St. Joseph's day. So my mom always would get them. And then they would also celebrate, um, St. Patrick's day too, but Mm -hmm. I miss it. And I don't know if it's like just an East coast thing, but I need St. Joseph's pastries. I haven't had them in a long time. (laughs) They're so good. Yeah. What was it? I was talking with Kevin and I was like doing the math in my head because I, I'll be honest, I don't, I knew we Lent was happening. I don't remember when Ash Wednesday was. Yeah. Um, and because I'm not teaching this semester, usually I teach my students like, oh, these are what the days um for the week leading up to um the crucifixion. Like this is what it symbolized for the early Christians and this is how it developed and everything. And I was doing the math in my head and I was like, oh, it was Palm Sunday. Oh, it's this weekend. And I want to hear your opinion on this because I know you went to Catholic school. Mm-hmm. Um, so Kevin and I were talking about going to the stations of the cross growing up, right? Oh, yeah. So I went to public school. I was a public school gal. And my mom would take me and my sister out of school early to go to that mass to go through the stations of the cross. Mm-hmm. And I just remember it was so heavy. It was just, it's a lot, especially really when, you're, sad. when you're a child yeah. listening to this. Memory unlocked, ten. I actually was traumatized by that. Memory unlocked. Wait till I tell you this. Memory unlocked. Kevin told me that at his school, when they were doing this on Good Friday, um, they would ask for volunteers to act out these stations of the cross. We had that. Now that you think about it, yeah. Um, We actually had people that would carry the cross and everything in school. And I'm talking about catechism. I actually, my Catholic high school, we didn't do stations of the cross. Okay. Honestly, we, I went to a very like Catholic high school, but it wasn't like attached to a church or anything. Okay. Okay. Um, so we would have mass in like the gymnasium (laughs) and it had like its own little like Bible church in there. Like one you would find in a hospital. You like one of those little, I love little, little churches, little chapel, (laughs) a little, yes, a chapel. That's what it's called. Um, but we didn't do like stations of the cross when I was older, but I do remember when I was younger, I was super traumatized. I mean, what? it's just a traumatizing story, period. It's so sad. And I, I was looking at Kevin like gobsmacked. Like my jaw was hanging wide open. I was like, what do you mean they were asking for volunteers? Because like anybody's out there who is also coming from Abrahamic religion, like what? That is, yeah. that is a long, horrifying story of what they did. <laughs> yeah, we did like the carrying of the cross, but I don't think anyone ever acted out the actual story. It was just like, here's what's like to carry the cross up the. Up yeah, because it, it it's mentioned, I think, and I don't remember which gospel of like how what how much it weighs and everything. Because I mean, let's be honest, the Romans were crucifying anybody that they could. They were crucifying so many people they ran out of wood. But yeah. um, it's a it's a hefty piece of equipment. It is. It is. And like I said, when I was in CCD, it was a really scary thing to do the stations of the cross. And you're like, oh man, what is this? What is going on? It's terrible. Um, And then I remember, I also remember Passion of the Christ, that movie. I never watched it in its entirety. I've only remembered seeing like the, um, what do you call it? Like the pre- uh, preview of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause Mel Gibson directed it, right? I think so. Where I was going with this is I remember being so traumatized by Stations of the Cross and the story that I never wanted to watch Passion of the Christ. And I just remember like, I don't, there was like this weird time where like, that's all anybody was talking about. And that's all the commercials that were on TV 
just advertising this movie. And I was like, I don't want to watch this. I'm looking it up right now. Of like what year that came out in. It was scary. But anyway, while you're doing that, I just wanted to do a little reminder. Um, Ten and I have found ourselves in quite a pickle sometimes with um, getting people on the podcast to like talk and guests and things like that. And actually, we've asked quite a few individuals to come onto the podcast. But things that we're finding is um, people are not very open to talking about other belief systems with pagans and witches. And I think it's just something we have to learn. Like our space is always going to be a really safe space to talk about and invite people on. Like 10 and I were saying before, like, I'll talk to a rabbi. I don't care. I just want to share beliefs, ideas, history, you know, and I know like our listeners are interested in the same thing. And we're always encouraged to go out there by our own ancestors, spirit guides, deities to talk to other people. But I think, um, a real life instance is people don't want to talk to us that and i think the word like witchcraft anything like that pagan even has had like this kind of dark cloud above yeah. it and you know anybody can believe in whatever they want like as long as you are not shoving it down my throat I would love to have a conversation with anybody, like just sit, have lunch, have coffee with somebody and be like, what do you believe? That's so cool. Can you describe that a little bit more? And how I'm thinking about this is, you know, with my travels, when I was able to go international for work and going to Cyprus and everything, like going to other religious sites and the best one I can think of is in the capital of Cyprus in Nicosia, the Northern part of the city is actually Turkish. So you hear the mosques playing the call to prayer mm-hmm. and it's beautiful. Yeah, I'm sure. I would love to learn about that. I've taken many religious classes. I've read religious books and it's so fascinating. It's just so interesting to have an open discussion with people of tell me your history. Tell me like what you believe in. And right. like, it's so fascinating to just learn about everybody's beliefs and to understand that, you know, it's what helps so many people through the day, through their lives. Yeah. It's, I don't know. I feel like just like the things we've been experiencing outside of our own like witchcraft community has been very interesting, but I also think it's a product of the witchcraft pagan community too. I'm -hmm. not going to put the blame on everybody that studies Abrahamic religion or follows Abrahamic religion, but I just find that you know, just because we're pagan or you identify as pagan doesn't mean you should stop learning about other cultures and belief systems and push them away. Mm -hmm. Um, so I know that a lot of that is stemming from, well, I don't want to talk to people that study witchcraft because they're talking about things wrong or, you know, they're taking things wrong and they're, they're going to come back at me and say, you know, who cares about Catholicism? And it's like, I think there's like, problems on both ends of the Mm -hmm. spectrum. And I don't know, I really have just always gone into anytime I've asked someone to be on the podcast as like, I want to share my platform. I want to share this. Like, let's talk about it. Like, let's talk about Judaism. Let's talk about Islam. I don't care. I will talk to someone that's Orthodox, Orthodox Jew. Like I want to talk to you. I want to ask you questions. And I know our listeners are the same way. So I don't know. I think I was just a little taken aback by some of the conversations we've been having recently. And it's definitely because we talk about witchcraft here and things mm-hmm. that don't fit the sphere of untaboo things, but the things we're talking about are also based in history. So very interesting. Very interesting. And to 
kind of relate it back to my own life. I even do this with my students. I wanted to call them children, but no, they're adults. <laughs> my students. My kids. <laughs> my kids. Um, my students, like their final project, a lot of the times, one of the options is you have to go visit a sacred site today locally and compare it to something that we studied in our own class. So I've had people go to this local cemetery. Somebody went to a Quaker meeting house and got to experience it, a local Jewish temple, a Catholic church, and just kind of compare it to something that we've learned about. And the response that I have received from doing those projects is students telling me, I'm so happy that I got to do this. I've never experienced anything like this. I moved from um, middle of Nebraska and we don't have this here. So it was so cool to see X, Y, and Z and being able to do that for 30 students every semester. That's great. But being able to do that on a larger scale at this podcast is one of the best things ever. That's what we want to do is have these conversations. How can we learn from one another? How can we find similarities? And I think that's the biggest difference with us and so many others out there is we're not looking to say my God is better than your God. That's, oh, that's God. preposterous. I want Please. to have the conversation of how are we similar? Yeah. And we are very similar in a lot of things. Like again, once I'll say this again, I said it 5,000 times when we did the ATR episode, we found ATRs knock on the floor to wake the dead. And we do that in the Greco Roman belief. Italian folk does that as well. Mm-hmm. And it's like so cool to find those synchronicities, but yeah, it's been really disheartening. And, um, you know, I just don't think I was expecting it because I'm just really open to talking to people. I always am like, I guess maybe because my family's the same way. Like my dad will talk to anybody about anything, like any beliefs. I'll never tell you you're wrong, you know, unless like, it's something like I've said this before, like white supremacist ideology, but I just like to sit and talk and chit chat. And, you know, it's not a, a pissing contest about who's better pagans or Catholics. Like I hate this narrative. I hate it yeah. so much. And I understand religious trauma. I come from it. But mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that people are wrong in what they believe. People can think witchcraft is sinful. I am not mad at that belief. No. As long as you're, you don't, you're not prying into what I'm doing in my business. I don't care. You know, like you're not trying to push that on me. I don't care. So yeah, it's just been a little disheartening, like trying to talk to people outside of like the, I guess the quote unquote, like pagan community, witchcraft community to get them on the podcast to talk about things. And they just have want nothing to do or think that we don't know anything about what they're talking about, which is also another problem because we're women. Yeah. The mansplaining truly another day of being a woman. (laughs) Yeah. So that's another thing, but we just wanted to be honest with you. Like we are working on getting, um, I know guests are, uh, a gift. Like we're not saying we need guests to thrive, but it would have been cool to have people on from different backgrounds. But I also understand, you know, they look at us differently because we don't fit in that box of religion, I guess. Yeah. And, you know, maybe it's just a, another good conversation to be had of, you know, why, why push back on having open conversations, you know, there's a lot of bad history between a lot of people. So let's try and, you know, heal that all together. Yeah. And I also don't look at people and and wonder, Oh, I wonder what their belief is. You know, like I look at people and I'm like, we're people, we're all human beings at the end of the day. So what is the difference here? I'm looking at people and if they have food, I'm like, where did they get that? That looks delicious. I too would like that. Where did you get that? And what is your favorite Taco Bell order? Please tell me that's, these are the kind of questions I want to ask. 
and please tell your dog I said hello. Like that's that's all I care about is yeah. can I pet your dog and tell your dog at home I said hi. <laughs> um, before we dive into the episode, can I tell you the cutest thing really quickly? Yes. So I order from Chewy a lot. I love Chewy. Yes. I think they have great customer service. So they told me that like my delivery was here and it wasn't. So like I got on live chat and I was like, great. I really hope they don't make me pay for it. Cause I'm in the process of switching Pluto's food to something a little bit more organic and nicer. I don't know the things I do for my kid, but, um, for those of you that are new here, Pluto's my cat, <laughs> but Chewy, they just automatically mailed me another box of food and they were like, give, give your cat a lot of belly rubs from us. And I was like, I don't know why I almost cried. And I did do it. Good. Oh, you want to cry about ancient pets? Just read Roman epithets to epitaphs for their cat. For their I can't, dog. I can't do it because then I think of Pluto and one day, you know, Pluto's immortal. He's never going to die. And I can't talk about this because I'll cry on the podcast right now. Oh my gosh. If I think about it so hard, I've cried looking at voodoo and then I'll look over at Kevin and he's like, what, why did you think about that again? <laughs> because you just can't help it, especially being two death girls. But I think this is the perfect segue into today's conversation and why we landed on this podcast topic, because it is like semi-random. Yeah, a little bit, but you know, we're here for it. (laughs) We're here for it. And Ten, you are freeze framing a little bit on YouTube, but I think you're okay for the podcast. Cool. Um, So to our YouTube listeners, I I do know that Ten is freezing, so don't worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Um, But we were talking about podcast topics today, and this is the first time ever where we could not agree together on one topic. We were totally opposite sides of the spectrum, and that happens. Ted wanted to talk about death, and I said, I don't want to talk about death anymore. I want to talk about spring and life. And she went, I don't want to talk about spring. And I'm like, well, great, Ted. Now what? We were in the trenches, just hurling ideas across the battlefield to each other. And then I was like, no. And we sent it back water balloons at each other <laughs> yeah but the difference is we weren't getting mad at each other we were just like okay I get it you don't want to talk about that today fine let's let's I, find something I know I was like I don't really want to talk about spring like allergies I'm just not in that mood and Chelsea rebutted per- perfectly back of like I'm just feeling a little out of it with death it's a heavy topic and I was like I see your point and I can't raise you an answer <laughs> no one had a solution I you know she asked me she was like you don't want to do this topic then what do you want to do and I was like I don't know man it's like you're asking me what I want for dinner right now I don't know I Oof. don't know but so we landed on talking about death and life so what does that mean <laughs> mystery cult religion like come on Dionysus <laughs> how did we get here death and life oh we got to talk about a cult <laughs> You say it with me, cultic worship. <laughs> Let's talk about Dionysus today. But if you listen to our episode on Persephone and Demeter um, and their mystery religion, mystery religions, their premise is death and life and yes. finding the balance in, between both and experiencing both in every single one. So we were going through several mystery religions. We were going to think we we're doing uh, thinking about doing Mithras. But then I was like, let's talk about Dionysus. You know why? Because Dionysus is all about indulgence. And guess what? Ten and I are in this part of our practice where we are working on not feeling guilty and indulging things. That Mm -hmm. is something we're holding each other accountable for. Yes. And I've talked about this before. I'm not talking about like expensive things, but not feeling guilty about taking breaks and Mm -hmm. indulging in like going outside for three hours instead of like cleaning your house, you know, instead of doing something that like you can put off to another day. So we landed on Dionysus. (laughs) we were thinking indulgence what does that mean 
Hmm, grapes, wine, wineries, Dionysus. <laughs> yes. And we also have our spring line um, was inspired by, we've said this before, that card from, um, shout out Juliet Diaz, her Beltane deck, the indulgence card, right? Like of the mm-hmm. woman laying in the bathtub. I wish I had it. It's it's actually on one of my altars. It's on my self-love altar. Um, <laughs> because I find that like anything that we do is always going to have a story behind it, right? And Oh, yeah. That one singular card just really always spoke to me. It really did. And just thinking about like the the little things in life or, you know, go out there and treat yourself to like one thing, you know, um, be about it. And I was telling Chelsea the other day, I was like, you know, I was, I got, have a gift card from Christmas from my sister-in-law to Sephora. And I saw that they have a Cleopatra perfume. And I was like, do I want a Cleopatra perfume? I mean, if yes. it's, if it's my scent highlights that's what i want do i want to smell like the last pharaoh of egypt absolutely she's my queen why wouldn't you want to i would just buy it even if i didn't like it because it's cleopatra (laughs) that's indulgence (laughs) yeah but i asked you because i'm at this point in my practice and i know you are too and i'm saying practice because i do think a lot of the journey and i say this in a lot of my readings is finding yourself and stability and foundations and mental health right Mm -hmm. um you know we don't practice for mental health reasons. I actually step out of my practice when I'm not feeling well. I think it's so wildly irresponsible to do anything spiritual. Um, and for example, I'll give you an example. I was late to a client to doing a client's reading the other day and they emailed me and I was very honest with them. I was like, I couldn't even channel. I was so depressed. Mm -hmm. I'm working through my own things right now. I couldn't even channel for you. So like, sorry, I'm like a few days late. And they were like, I completely understand, you know, like I don't turn to spirituality when I'm like, not feeling well or think it's going to fix my life problems. Oh, absolutely. What does indulgence mean to you since we're kind of both in this it's, sphere? It's getting back to finding finding joy and taking care of yourself, but taking that extra time for you. So whether that's five extra minutes hitting your snooze button, whether that's um, getting, you know, a coffee once a week, whether that's taking a bath once a week, whether that's just five minutes of quiet time with your coffee in the morning. It's anything like that. Like it doesn't have to be like, go out and buy X, Y, and Z. That you don't have to do that. No. But at the same time, understand like, why do you want to do that? Or are you coming out of a break and you're getting back into it? And example time from 10, I have taken a huge step back because I have been finishing my degree, um, finishing writing a dissertation, which has been, I'll be honest, soul crushing and dealing with academic abuse and coming to terms with what that means for me and processing it and dealing with that and coming back into the practice. You know, last night for the full moon, I, I did a whole bath ritual and just sitting in the darkness with a candle lit, listening to Lana Del Rey. Like that is a vibe that was indulgence for me, you know, took a page out of my book. I know. I was like, damn, (laughs) that's always how I do my lunar rituals. By the way, I'm not a gatekeeper here. I literally will make anyone listen to Lana Del Rey for full moon (laughs) rituals. Um, but also this reminds me that we do have a playlist, um, for the Persephone's return collection that you can find actually in our, um, on our Instagram and our bio, 
um, Sticks and Bones bio and you can listen to it. It's We curated a whole entire vibe for the whole collection we just came out with for the metaphysical store. And it's all like very indulgence type music. Like when I think of indulgence, I think of playing Chemtrails Over the Country Club or oh. Old Money by Lana Del Rey. Like oh. all that kind of music and fun. And that music really means a lot to me. And it's always been around me. It's very much like my vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, let's put it a playlist and you know. Oh yeah. Getting back, getting back and doing like bath rituals and everything using a, the evil eye bath bomb from the shop and oh, just yeah. creating a whole vibe. I came downstairs and I, I felt like spring. I was like, you know what? This, this is living right now. <laughs> it is. And it didn't take much. It was just you and your bathtub. Yeah, with Voodoo sitting on the ledge thinking that she's going to jump in. <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, for me, actually, I, I like your definition of indulgence. For me, it's mm-hmm. starting to do the things that I'm always saying, well, I'll just wait until like a special time to do it, like a special. Yeah. <laughs> so I do have this one like um, it's not our candle. I got it actually from Michael's. This one like female bus candle that I love and I don't mm-hmm. ever burn it because I'm like, well, I don't want to ruin it. But it's like that's the whole point is to burn your candle. You know what I mean? Or I'm like, I'm saving it for a special occasion. It's like, no, no, no. As two death girls, you know, you never know when death is coming around. Life's too short. Like, yeah. Drink your Sprite, eat the good food today, light your candles that you've been holding off for a long time. Why? For what? What are we saving it for? Open up that fancy bottle of wine that you're saving. Tonight is the night. (laughs) I have actually pomegranate wine that I bought from a long time ago and I was going to save it for like a chthonic ritual because it's pomegranates and I'm like what am I waiting for I'm just going to open this shit up tonight I don't know maybe I'll sit next full moon or something but see I'm still waiting maybe I'll sit (laughs) on my bath and like have a glass of pomegranate wine I'll let you know how it is I know I found it in the liquor store it's in a glass pomegranate I remember you sent me a photo of it yeah that's that's luxury (laughs) someone was telling me they wanted that but I you know, it's going to be for me. <laughs> it was cheap. It was like 12 bucks. Ooh, we love I know a cheap wine. Yeah. I kind of do like cheap wine, but speaking of wine, wow, look at the segue. Um, so we're always going to be, you know, very authentic and like where we're talking about in our practice and things like that. So we're not doing much spiritual work. Actually, we're just really indulging in our own lives and like trying to find our way back and find some footing back underneath us. And I think that's really important. And that is the journey sometimes, you know, like I give readings to clients and they're like, what am I going to develop my gifts? And I'm like, no, well, hold on a second. When was the last time you took a day off of work for yourself? Uno reverse. I challenge you this, but honestly, no, And it's funny because with like the indulgence and everything, I, for some reason, just keep thinking of the office scene of like the finer things club. Yes. And it's like, you have to find like the best things when you think your life is mundane. Like they were watching movies or reading classic literature in their dead end job at a paper company in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Like but you have to find like the, this is going to sound so cheesy, the little magical moments in the mundane. I totally agree. Like even taking five minutes to like, just smell your coffee. And we've talked about this before on the podcast, but I've been actually practicing that. And let me tell you, it does make a difference. I have to actively remind myself because I'm always in like fight or flight, fight for my life every day. But <laughs> if you just take a, t- a moment to be like, whoa, 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 let me just, what's one thing around me I can enjoy right now, even if it's like smelling roses. <laughs> but okay so we're gonna talk about the mystery cult of Dionysus today oh 
yeah. And I've been really excited to do this. I did brush up on my research today because, you know, I think it's really important. Even though if I can't talk about it, I can at least interact with what you're saying. Do my own little, oh, yeah. own little research. Ten always sends me little tidbits, especially if I, I'm not very versatile in it. I know Dionysus, obviously, but. Oh, yeah. I, I sent her my lecture. Yeah. I sent you my lecture, sent you a, a quick little reading. Here you go. <laughs> Yeah, I was laying in bed drinking my Sprite being like, and let me now study the cult of Dionysus. I felt so like elite. (laughs) So before we kind of get into it again, because it's been a minute since we talked about a mystery cult, um, I'm just going to go over like the qualifications that a practice would need to be considered a mystery cult in the ancient day and time. Yeah. So the first, hold on really quickly before you go on. We're using mm-hmm. the term cult. It is not the same definition of the term cult that you'd be using <clears> every day. Please refer back to our Persephone and Demeter um, mystery religion episode. That's where we kind of really dive into why we call it a mystery cult. So yeah. I know that word can be a little jarring, but it has a very different meaning in a historical sense. So carry on, Penn. Yeah. Also, um, you can look into like cultic worship because that's where we're getting it from. Um, so the first thing that you would need to be considered a mystery cult is initiation. Mm-hmm. And this would give the initiate special knowledge about the God and how to worship them. Um, the second thing is a promise of a personal relationship with said God. Mm-hmm. The third is that with this special knowledge and this relationship, the God would ask you to behave in a certain way or you would have a certain set of ethics. So you can think of it today of, oh, I'm not going to eat X, Y, and Z. Um, there's a mystery cult to Orpheus where the initiates um, had to be vegetarian. So it's just kind of stuff like that. I think we did mention this in the uh, Persephone and Demeter episode as well, but definitely, definitely a yes. good refresh. Um, would you say this is kind of like taking an oath to a God, not an oath, but creating some sort of personal relationship that, and it could depend on the mystery cult. Now that's interesting because I do think yes, because the last one is that you're almost said to have attained salvation or, um, that you have a payoff quote unquote in the afterlife that you are going to be okay because that's why people are doing it let's be honest the mystery cults yeah absolutely are meant to lessen everyone's fears about death around with that specific god's help so if we were both going to be initiated into the dionysian cult um right now men and women are both welcome um but i would consider it technically an in oath of a sense, because you are saying, I will, I will learn your ways. I will follow your rules and I will, um, learn from you and worship you in return. I am asking for a relationship. I'm asking for, you know, salvation in the afterlife. These are my terms and conditions. So in a sense, it is an exchange and you can, I would argue that it's an oath. I would argue that too. I was just saying that because I know we were going back and forth with podcast topics today and 10 really wants to talk about um, oaths and taking oaths to deities. And, um, you know, you can find that a lot in like Norse paganism, but it's also found in Hellenism. So maybe that is something we'll dive into like another episode. It might be just like a little spinoff. But anyway, 
I just wanted to touch upon that because I kind of think of it like that. Like you're not taking like a, a verbal oath, but you are doing all those things, these things to get into this uh, mystery cult. And when you did send me the, um, the fresco that they have of the initiation into the Dionysus cult, mm-hmm. you did have to go through several steps and it was very interesting. So that's kind of like really devoting yourself and your body to a God. It is all, it's like a step up from worship. Yeah. So it's like you are more involved, but like the whole kind of spiel of it, like you weren't trying to ascend to any sort of position. I mean, maybe in the Mithraic cult you would have been, but not so much in Dionysus or the Eleusinian Mysteries. No, it was just to promise your safety in in Hades and the afterlife and, Mm -hmm. you know. I think also too, it has some like societal context behind it where it's like, you know, you're with a group of people that have the same ideologies, belief systems, and you know, if you're looking for that, you're looking for that. Oh, absolutely. So shall we dive into who Dionysus is? Yes. I I too needed a refresher. Mm-hmm. I know the basics of Dionysus, but I don't I don't worship or work with him at all. And I always find him fascinating because I feel like he's not talked about a lot, maybe because he was documented later on as an Olympian or not really included as much. Yeah. And with mystery cults, the Eleusinian mysteries are documented the least. Mm -hmm. And we do have more with the cult of Dionysus, but it's still not a whole picture. We're, We're still missing a lot. We're putting this puzzle together in the dark. Um, so with Dionysus, he is considered to be an agricultural god. Right. And many did believe that his return every spring would allow the earth to kind of regrow, regenerate every year. And he has a very interesting transformation in his mystery cult. So he has numerous shrines and temples throughout Greece, and he was widely worshipped as a fertility god. Phallic processions and contests were held in his honor and were very, very common. His main cultic centers were on the island of Naxos, so in the Cycladic Islands. Um, We have um, one north of Athens, and this is where the famed Bacchic orgies would take place. Hell yeah. Now we're getting to the good stuff. This is why we want to talk about this today. Let's talk about orgies. Now- now we're getting to the good stuff. We're getting to the phalluses. <laughs> which protects penis. you from the evil eye. Which is penises, by the way, for those of you that don't know what a phallus is. That's okay. I didn't know. I had to look it up one day. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay if you don't study ancient phallus art. It's okay. I, I do. I, I'll take one for the team there. I was like, what the hell is a phallus? Oh, a penis. A penis. That's what it is, penis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dick So penis. he is... Uh, presented in Greek mythology as kind of a latecomer. Um, it's said that he arrives from the Eastern world um, with his bands of followers. Mm-hmm. And in the past, scholars used that as evidence of the cult of Dionysus appearing in Greece later than those of the other Olympian gods like Zeus, uh, Poseidon, Hera, Hestia, all of them. But Um, With the decipherment of the Linear B tablet, which we talked about in the Persephone episode, um, we actually do see an early form of Dionysus's name that was used in Greece during the Bronze Age. But we cannot say whether or not that the mystery religion was active then. But Dionysus as a god occurred then. 
So yeah, it's, um, like I said before, I think maybe just cause like might be like the side of the internet that I'm on, but I don't really see many people talking about Dionysus. And if they are, they're not talking about him in a correct way at all. Like, I think people always want to talk about the madness of Dionysus or like him being the God of wine and like this crazy alcoholic. And while I was reading some of the materials today where people did indulge in wine and they would think yeah. that Dionysus was taking over their body as they were drinking. Yeah. doesn't mean he's like this crazy God of alcoholism. And I think we kind of yeah. need to, I see that a lot. And I'm like, I don't think that's correct. <laughs> you know, you're correct. <laughs> right. Like people were doing it for a reason, yes. uh, not as an excuse. So yes. <laughs> okay. I, I just, am, am I wrong here? I don't know, but no. So in art, he is depicted in one of two forms. The oldest representations portray him as a mature bearded God where he's dressed in heavy robes and he holds a thyrsos, which is a major symbol for him. Mm -hmm. So what is that, you might ask? It is a pine cone-tipped staff. So it is a staff that has a pine cone on the top of it. In the classical and Hellenistic eras, he was usually depicted as pretty, um, youthful, and he was usually holding a bunch of grapes. Yes. Sometimes he was shown drunk, leaning heavily on a companion, and Dionysus is also frequently portrayed as a child or an infant in the arms of Hermes. I I'm sorry. I just find that artwork to be so interesting and so funny where he's portrayed as like very young. As a baby. Like, yeah. I'm like, why is he so little? Like he's literally the god of wine. <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. So he is said to have been the son of Zeus who impregnated a mortal woman named Simeon mm -hmm. and she died just before giving birth. So Zeus snatches him up and sews him into his thigh mm -hmm. where he would then literally give birth to Dionysus, much like he does with Athena when she yeah. bursts from his forehead. Um, Hera, Zeus's wife is jealous of him. So she exiles Dionysus from Mount Olympus. And this is where he would move to the east. And during this time, he is brought up by satyrs and maenads and returns to Olympus when he is full grown in a parade with his followers and massive animals, which include elephants. Either that or in another telling, he is kidnapped by the giants who killed Dionysus. I was going to say, isn't he ripped apart? Yep, they cut him up and eat him, and they boil him for soup, and Zeus smells the soup cooking and came to kill the giants and to resurrect Dionysus. Or, in another plot twist, it becomes a little bit more complicated. In other myths, Dionysus is also seen as the son of Persephone rather than as the son of Samuel, and Zeus would remain as the father here, mm -hmm. but it's said that he would have gotten Persephone pregnant in the form of a snake. So parentage is a question mark. We know the dad. Yeah. It's, it always is a question mark. I feel like in Greek mythology and I don't know why I just can't see Dionysus being a son of Persephone. Maybe that's the way that I interact with them. It's just not like that for me, but it's very valid because it's, it's written down. Um, but it's, it's a weird, like so many, and then Hades and it's like, uh, Greek mythology is just weird. <laughs> that family tree is awfully <laughs> nodded. 
a hundred percent but like also they're gods and like they don't go by human standards and this is us being yeah. like as human beings mm, i'm trying to take uncle. my i'm trying to take my bias out but mm. <laughs> that's your uncle that's your sister gotta go like <laughs> Um, so whatever story that you choose to follow, we already understand that Dionysus in this sense is technically between worlds. Mm -hmm. He is half mortal, half immortal. He's not exactly of the mortal realm or Olympus, and he's partly of the underworld and he's not really of the West. He's not really of the East. So what is he? He kind of is everything and nothing at the same time. Mm-hmm. In depictions, we also see that he is somewhat androgynous, where he is shown as both a male and uh, woman in his appearance. And we see this, of course, in Rome and elsewhere as well. Gods do not fit into perfect boxes today. And he appealed to a wide following of people, especially as they understood that worshiping Dionysus would bring them relief from death, which... Death was a massive fear to the ancient peoples, and it still is for so many people today. Yes, as uh, I point to you to exhibit A, Hades. (laughs) Barely talked about. (laughs) He is associated with wine, of course, and drama of ancient Athens. And as he is known, best known as the god of wine, he has... um, associations with wine which has both positive and negative aspects right Mm -hmm. chelsea brought that up earlier Mm -hmm. it makes people behave drunk if you drink too much and causes them to behave in strange ways so the greeks and the romans were well aware of this people have been drinking wine for thousands of years oh hell yeah wine's the best but this mirrors the dual nature of dionysus He is a vegetation deity and is thus involved with the cycle of death and regrowth. He is seen as a death god, a god who comes into and changes the normal community life. He is all about change. He's all about transformation. His role as a vegetation deity is obvious, right? Rebirth, regrowth, renewal. He is also associated with the fir tree and with ivory, his staff, which his worshipers would carry. And he's also... Um, heavily associated with pine cones he is of course the god of theater and since the theater is said to have changed people as what do people do in the ancient days they wear masks Mm -hmm. so you're playing a character it's not really you up there right um many say that wearing a mask is intoxicating And in fact, we're not sure why, but there is a very strong association with people wanting to hide behind masks in the theater to escape. Well, you know, what's interesting kind of to relate it to what you're saying now. I always think of Heath Ledger Mm -hmm. and like the Joker and his role playing the Joker and how he could not separate himself at one point from the Joker because, and then Austin Butler too with Elvis. Yes. I don't know how true this is, but I totally believe it where he's like, I can't, like he's having a hard time separating him with his accent the character the accent because they had to like immerse themselves and lady gaga is now playing harley quinn and i wonder i the only thing i keep thinking about is like that's such like a madness thing to do and i wonder if it's like gonna affect her in any sort of way you know that is a great comparison i know look at this but it makes so much sense it does. It does. Like, I remember Heath Ledger, like, rest in peace. He was an OG um, talking mm-hmm. about how he had a really hard time separating himself from the Joker. And, like, 
it was a little psychotic, you know, but he immersed himself so much yeah. in that character that it was hard to take the mask off. Yeah. And when you think about it, even today, like how many times, you know, people wear masks throughout their everyday lives and you think that's who they really are. And then when the mask comes off, you're like, I did not see that coming. Oh, that's happened to me so many times. <laughs> I'm, so, <laughs> I'm so used to it. Like I'm so traumatized by people that I'm just like, oh, y'all are real fake. Every single one of you. <laughs> Love ya. <laughs> Get away from me. So who is associated with Dionysus? So he doesn't really spend a lot of time on Mount Olympus. Instead, he roams the earth, causing chaos and trouble, and teaches people how to plant vines and make wine. He's usually accompanied by his satyrs and maenads, who are uh, female attendants. I love that he's female attendants, because I, too, if I was a deity, would have attendants. Mm-hmm. They're also the ones who, like, when they go insane in the madness, they will rip people apart. Okay, so now is that I I know you're saying it, so it must be true. But is that actually true? Because when I was reading that article you sent me, they said they were on. They didn't have actual evidence of that happening. That it was just kind of like surmised. It's surmised. I'm but fact checking you. <laughs> the act of working yourself up into yeah. this ecstatic frenzy was part of the mystery cult practice but these maenads are said in writings to have ripped people to shreds can i ask you how would they work themselves up into a frenzy um probably with um hallucinogenics um alcohol drugs um this is kind of a sidebar but in certain ancient artwork uh it doesn't make a lot of sense to us today because it's very abstract. It's very geometric. And we believe that people would have taken drugs and have gone into this trance and state and then gone into these rooms with this psychedelic artwork to experience ethereal otherworldliness. Um, so I would imagine it's, it's done the same way. Um, I actually had a student give a paper on ancient drug use. So it was heavily used. It's it's really, you know what? I, I know like some people are like, that's crazy. It's really not that crazy to me. I mean, the ripping people apart thing, if that's true, like that, that, that I mean, like, I don't believe in that. But I think of the guy that created Alice in Wonderland and he just dropped acid and then started to draw this crazy story of Alice in Wonderland and experience this ethereal vision. Oh, like I love Alice in Wonderland. Me too. The artwork slaps as much as the next girl. But yeah, if you read that, you're like, oh my fuck. That guy was on a trip the whole entire time. I don't know if it was acid. I don't know what it was, but it was all about tripping. I don't remember if it was acid or LSD. Uh, Might have been the LSD. It might have (laughs) been. Might have been the good old LSD. But yeah, so like it's really not that weird to think that people in ancient times were doing it. Do I support it? I mean, if you're in a mystery hole and you're taking hallucinogenics because that's what you're doing, go off. But it's not that weird to me that people were doing that. No. And it's always, I would imagine, so done in a safe thing. Like you're doing it for a holy sacred experience. You're not doing it to like trip balls. Man, smoke pot for Jesus. Let's start that campaign. <laughs> I'm just kidding, by the way. So he he is also found with an attendant named... um. Selenius. He's oftentimes associated with the god Pan um, and always with his mortal wife, who he married and turned into a goddess, Ariadne. I know. It's a good story. You guys should look it up. It is. Sparknote edition, Ariadne is the sister of the Minotaur, and Theseus, of course, kills the Minotaur on Crete. Theseus 
takes Ariadne supposedly back to Athens. They stop on an island on the way back. Um, they have relations. And then he leaves her in the morning and she's stranded on an island and Dionysus finds her and then makes her a crown of stars. So but ladies, don't settle. <laughs> if your man's not making you a crown of stars, throw him out. Um, And of course, sometimes he's going to have to be carried by these attendants because he's drunk. So... The origins of the mysteries remain obscure with multiple areas claiming to be the origin. We have Thrace, Firga, and Libya saying, no, we came up with it. And the idea that Dionysus was a later foreign god was, of course, derived from stories that described him from moving from established city to established city and demanding their worship. Um, Dionysus is not originally listed in some of the lists of the Olympians. So some scholars claim that this reflects him coming into the Greek and Roman pantheon later. However, his name appears on a Mycenaean tablet, as I said before. So the wild revels that attend the worship of the wine god were later called Bacchanals after his Roman name, which is Bacchus. Mm -hmm. During these, men, women, nymphs, satyrs, and other mythical creatures drank wine, had orgies, and partook in other behavior many found to be immoral. One such disapprover was Lycurgus, who's the king of Thrace, who drove away Dionysus's attendants from his land. And the king's punishment for being impious was that he lost his sense of reason. And during one of his episodes, he killed his own son, who he mistook for a vine. It's the, it's the mythical punishments for me. He mistook for a vine. I think he was tripping very bad and was just after this vine and just swung a sword. <laughs> Dionysus was like, you're going to kick me out? Okay. <laughs> That's crazy. That was, I don't know. Sometimes I read mythology and I'm like, where is this coming from? <laughs> uh, Dionysus and his followers marched through the land celebrating as they went and they would bear their staffs and clash together cymbals and other musical instruments. This sounds fun as hell. It's like a parade. This sounds fun as hell. Like, I'm sorry. I get why people would do this. I don't know if I'm about this kind of life, but I would respect other people that are doing this kind of stuff. I, I don't, obviously, the tearing people apart, like I said before, I, you know. I'd come outside and, and clap and wave. <laughs> Go Dionysus! So we, there's a lot of sarcophagi that are pretty well preserved today that actually show these processions of Dionysus. So I'll be posting those on Instagram, but you can even see elephants and everything. And it just, it looks so fun. It's so grandioso. And honestly, like I said, if I was a deity, I would want this shit. I don't know if I would just want to, like, I think of Hades now he's so different and like, just doesn't even want to be contacted half the time. And it's like Dionysus just out here with processions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We love to see it. We do. So he, um, excuse me, not he, but he is usually shown seated in a chariot drawn by panthers. So we're already seeing his association with foreign animals mm -hmm. again. Um, and accompanied by thousands of enthusiastic nymphs, fawns, and other revelers, it is said that Dionysus had a triumphal progress through Syria, Egypt, Arabia, and even into India. 
and he would conquer all before him. He founded cities and establishing on every side a more civilized and sociable mode of life for his inhabitants. Like he's doing the most for his people. He really is. And they're just having fun in return. So what does Rome think? They're just like, why? (laughs) People are joining the, the cult, but you know, we don't really see a lot of evidence to suggest that a lot of Romans were partaking in this cult, which is really interesting. It seems to be more Greek focused, um, especially like during the first two centuries BCE. I Ugh. think we should post um, the video in Patreon that mm-hmm. you say about the actual fresco and like what they think is an actual depiction of the initiation. Oh, yeah. Um, I think that'll be so cool. And I know like today, like, listen, I, we forgot to mention this. We're just touching the surface of Dionysus mm-hmm. and the cult of Dionysus. There's so much about this. And if we want to do a part two, like, listen, we're going to be podcasting for a while. So oh yeah, you know, I can't do all of it in one sitting. And I'll be honest with you. I can only take in so much information at once. So it's like, we don't want to ever throw that much information out there. Mm-hmm. And then everyone be like, what did I just learn? So let's cover the worship initiation. And we'll cap it there. Leave you on a good ancient cliffhanger. Yeah, I'm I'm here for it. And once again, a reminder, when people are joining mystery cults, it's because they want to remove the fear around death. They are understanding mm-hmm. the cycles of death and life. And that's in every mystery cult, like I said before. So I think that's what makes them so fascinating. And as two death girlies, you know, I love this, this kind of study because even the ancients were exploring what it means to like die and come back to life and i don't actually mean resurrection shout out to jesus but i don't mean actual resurrection i mean like what it what it means to cycle in and out of those cycles yes and it also gave them a way to connect on something deeper that perhaps they weren't getting with the state religion of the time so if let's say we were in athens and you know we were giving offerings to Zeus, but you know, it just wasn't enough for us. And the cult of Dionysus spoke to us. That was heavily allowed. Like it was like, okay, the state religion's not really working for you. As long as you're still leaving your offerings and staying in peace with the gods, have fun. I hope this other religion works out for you. I love that. And I know we talked about that in the Persephone Demeter episode, but it's just such a good reminder that it's okay if something's not resonating with you and you want to go try something else. It's absolutely yeah. fine. So I'm taking I think we take a pretty good approach, similar to how people were like, yeah, go tri- go um, get initiated into a mystery cult. That's what we want to do with this podcast. Come have a chat with us. You know, maybe we'll all learn something. Maybe I'll want to join. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like to go back to your point at the top of like, we want to just talk to people about different beliefs, but people don't want to talk to us. It's like, you know, what is, is going it because- on? Is- is it because of the mystery cult of Dionysus? <laughs> is it because we say the mystery cult of Dionysus on here? Is it because that scares everybody? Well, look up what that means, okay? It's based in fact in history and archaeology. So anyway, <laughs> yeah, let's go into the initiation before I get back on my soapbox. I was really offended. <laughs> really offended. I'm trying not to be, but I am. So let's jump right on in. So the worship of Dionysus, like the goddess Demeter, was an ancient traditional cult. His worship contained elements that evolved into one of the mysteries. In one of his myths, Dionysus comes to Athens and taught Icarus the art of making wine. So he is also known as Dionysus Eleutherus, the one who sets free. 
The association with wine and its resulting behavior remained a constant in his mysteries as it also remained a source of inspiration for the drama festivals in Athens. Mm -hmm. Worshippers would reach a state of ecstasy or ecstasis in Greek, which means standing outside oneself. Right? I liked that. When I read that, I liked that. I liked that concept. I'm not condoning like (laughs) ecstasy or like drugs or anything, but I liked the fact that people looked at it as like, I'm standing outside of my own body. Yes. It's almost like if you're ever drinking responsibly um, and you feel like I'm not feeling like myself, it feels like it's not you. That's what these followers and worshipers would have been feeling. Mm-hmm. And this state could also be reached through dance and song, which are major elements in the Dionysian mysteries. An additional element of these rituals was that of catharsis or the cleansing of emotions. And an analogy is found at the relief one feels after a good cry. Yeah. So I actually, it's funny when I was reading, not funny, but when I was reading this article, I had just had a good cathartic cry. And then I read the article that you sent me and Mm -hmm. I read that line and I was like, oh my God, I just did this. And it's so true. Like when you really get in there and cry it out and sometimes like crying, it truly is a form of release. Yes. You just need to let it out and you just feel so much better afterwards because you've just been holding everything in. It really is like cleansing to me. Oh God. Yeah. It just, it just really like rejuvenates the soul. <laughs> Good old cathartic cry while listening to Lana Del Rey in a bathtub. I mean, that is paradise. It's so and <laughs> Another element of the mysteries of Dionysus was that of descent. This refers to his descent into Hades. Returns were rare for mortals as they never escaped death, right? But some gods did travel there and would return. There were several stories of the descent and return of Dionysus. He was restored to life after he was ripped to to shreds by the Titans on Hera's orders. And he also descended to Hades to rescue Hephaestus, Ariadne, and his mother, Samuel. Mm -hmm. Such stories promoted the idea of death and rebirth for the participants of the cult. What happened individually to the initiates in their descent remains undocumented, but that is what the initiation is, a descent. I know. I read that and I was like, I really want to know what was going on. Like when they were descending and I'm using air quotes into death and like the underworld, like what is the descent? What does that feel like? I I wonder if it had to do with any like hallucinogens or things like that. I don't know. Like it's really just open for interpretation. Yes. So in Greece, the Dionysian rituals for men often took place in caves and may have involved stories of hidden things sought and returned, at least symbolically. There was also the drinking of sacred wine, being shown secret things, which was usually in a sacred basket, which was called mm-hmm. a lichion, and receiving their own thyrsos, so their own pine cone staff. There is some speculation that this initiation ritual may have been held in the sanctuaries of the god. Pausania says that orgies of Dionysus were celebrated in a temple to him at Hararia in Arcadia. It is difficult, however, to find much direct evidence for this. The evidence used to reconstruct the rituals tends to be drawn from a wide range of images and descriptions of initiation that are not all associated specifically with Dionysus. Mm. 
We do appear to find evidence for individuals undergoing individual initiation to the cult in Livy's account of the Bacchanalia at Rome. The young man at the center of this story is told that he must observe 10 days of abstinence, followed by a banquet, a purification bath, and then entering into the Bacchic shrine. These preparations are more or less identical to those undergone by Lucius in Apuleius's Metamorphosis before he was initiated into a different mystery cult, that of the mystery cult of Isis. Interesting. I I can't help but to think, oh, this is going so off track, but it's like a, an intrusive thought, like STDs must have been rampant. Yeah. STDs must have been rampant. Like I'm not even talking about just the cult of Dionysus. Like I know there's a lot of orgies going on in ancient times. Um, I just like their not their knowledge was so limited on sexual protection and disease. And I'm like, I know they're like abstaining, and then they go through a cleansing. But it's like, how do you know someone doesn't have an STD? This this is what I'm thinking about this whole time. I don't even know what you just said, but I was just thinking about the fact that I'm like, there's probably a lot of STDs in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. If you if you want to scare yourself, look up ancient like uh contraception. No, I don't want to scare myself. I don't even want to know. Yeah, it's scary. No, thank you. That's why when people say we should go back to ancient Greece, are y'all nuts? <laughs> what is wrong with you? But if you're like, huh, why is Chelsea saying why would they be having STDs if it's just like the orgies? I'm gonna direct you to any of the brothel frescoes from Pompeii. Listen, people were having fun. They were. They were really just out there swinging a phallus around. Swinging a phallus around. And my students often ask, why are there so many images of sex in this brothel building? And I said, it's the same way that you pull up to a drive-thru and there's images of the meals. Because if you don't speak the language, you at least can understand an image. Everyone can understand sex. Everyone knows what that looks like. You'd like, I'd like the one B and it's universal. That one. <laughs> Crazy. So the description of the ceremony itself is led by a woman assisted by her sons. And it's similar to other descriptions of initiations conducted by private initiators. Accounts of private initiations are in any case, most likely the inspiration for Libby's account. So we note that the initiation is kind of along the lines of the Eleusinian mysteries. Mm -hmm. um, and it does not appear to have a much mentioned feature of the Bacchic cult. So we need to interpret this cult on the basis of the features for where we have abundant evidence, meaning we're looking and we're comparing it to other mystery cults of the period to figure out what might be going on at a base base level okay i need you to to explain it to me like i'm five because you just said so many things and i I'm, I'm putting myself in the seat of a listener what is the main point of that that we are we, we don't are actually pulling. know what's going on with the cult of dionysus we're pulling from other mystery religions and assuming the same thing is happening correct if yes. there are holes in the evidence yeah. we are looking elsewhere because we are seeing at its most basic base base level Certain things are occurring in every single one. Got it. So and whether it was done the same way, we can't be said, but we can say X, Y, and Z took place. Got it. Now, um, if we do a part two, we're going to be talking about what the actual initiation looks like, right? Oh, yeah. All right. So where are you leaving us off here? 
Um, going off just a little bit more. Leaving off at the base initiation. Got it. <laughs> um, okay. But we do know that the central act of initiation for men was that you would go out into the mountains. That was a must. Interesting. I wonder why. To do fun activities. Fun activities. In the rituals for women, the initiate was sometimes dressed and prepared as Dionysus's bride, Ariadne. According to some information, the earliest of the things shown in the sacred basket was a goat's penis, which later became a wooden phallus. In the city of Pompeii, there is a house known as the Villa of the Mysteries, which depicts the Romanized form of the cult. In one of the panels, the initiate is being whipped by the love god Eros, and so flagellation may have been a standard part of the initiation, whose purpose again remains unknown. Mm-hmm. A special festival known as the Tristeria was held on Mount Parnassus and celebrated Dionysus's return from Hades. The rituals were led by the Maenads in an ecstatic state in which they hunted and tore apart and ate wild animals. According to some men, they also hunted humans, but this cannot be verified. That's the part I read and I was like, yeah, 10, I raise you. (laughs) Is that actually true? But it cannot be verified. (laughs) We just, it's just a a weird thing to think about. Nymphs also celebrated with the satyrs. And this combination gave the Dionysus cult an infamous representation in or reputation, excuse me, in the modern as well as the ancient world that it was just solely about drinking, losing oneself in ecstasy, orgies, all of this kind of chaos. But at the base of the Bacchic cult is you are experiencing a side of yourself that you are keeping hidden you are taking off that stage mask and letting yourself be seen you know what i can kind of relate to that i don't mean whatever the cult of dionysus is doing okay i'm not in my house doing this sort of shit but (laughs) i can kind of relate because i feel like when you are working really hard to figure out who you are and you're not afraid to be seen that's when you start to experience really uncomfortable things inside of yourself and like this ecstasy type state like i know that I get off sometimes, not actually, but when like (laughs) people like are intimidated by my presence, but I'm not even doing anything. And it's just because I know who I am. You know what I mean? So it's like, it never happened to you when you're just kind of like in a room and you know, people are a little intimidated by you. And, you know, I think this just sometimes happens when you have a resting bitch face, but it's because you know who you are and what you're talking about. And it's like, you're just intimidated by me because you are wearing a mask and you can't sit next to me and you can't talk to me and you are afraid to even speak on your own two feet. It's like, Mm -hmm. who are you? It is interesting because I had an ex-boyfriend tell me I was intimidating and I was like, sweetheart, you're intimidated. It's not the same. No. Yeah. Don't put that on me. You know, I get that a lot. I get that a lot. Even before, like my whole life, people would always tell me that I'm intimidating or I look intimidating. It's like, Am I just confident or it, am I just in, is that a you thing? Because I don't, I'm not intimidating. I'm actually very nice. Um, very, very nice. And like I talked about in the last episode, you know, people always come for me for my tone. Yeah. It's like, I think that's more of a you problem. I'd say I'm not wearing a mask when I go outside. 
Um, I'm just who I am on the podcast is exactly who I am out in the real world. Oh God. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, Oh, has it taken a while to get here? Absolutely. But you know, I think it's different when people are faking their confidence or faking anything like that. Like you can see through it. I know if I asked Chelsea anything of like, how are you so X, Y, and Z, she could come out and be like, give me 30,000 tales of like trials and tribulations of the life of Chelsea, of what she's had to go through. I've told it on the podcast. Yeah. And more. And it's- I'm very open about my my story because I don't want people to get this false narrative that I just sit here and I'm like feeling good every day. And I'm, no. I just magically wound up here and now I live the life I want to live. It's like, no, I actually cl- cl- like was climbing Mount Everest and I almost, I fell off a few times. I had to start over again. Yeah. And I, I, I always find it funny when, yeah, people are like, yeah, you're intimidating me or blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, am I, or are you intimidated? Like, and I think from like two people who've gone through like trials and fucking tribulations, you know, the shit hands life has dealt us, you know, the abuse you've gone through, the abuse I've gone through, it's just like, huh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Also too, another thing, and I'm sure a lot of you can relate to the, to this that are listening to us. The more in your life you start like seeing people are being fake, it's easier for you to expose people that are like, speaking of the mask analogy, that are living under a mask, right? And it's so frustrating when everyone really loves this one person and you're like, ah, if I could just kick the mask off of them, y'all would be surprised about what you see, you know? Yeah, I think my favorite way to like, not even showcase like the mask being removed or anything, but it's to use what they're doing against them. If you are going to put something out, and this is something I've learned, you know, just writing my own dissertation. If I'm putting more, the more I put out, the more I'm getting edited, graded, judged on, right? Mm-hmm. So if people are going to put stuff out there, then you best be able to uh, to defend that. <laughs> oh yeah, right, right, a thousand percent. That's why I'm saying like, we've even, today when we were trying to pick a topic, I think someone was messing with me. It might've been like my ancestors. I'm telling you, they do, they do this sometimes to make sure I'm staying true to myself. This is why I say ancestor work is not for the faint of heart, but they were like, um, something popped into my head and it was not a a thought I would have. They were like, you should talk about nature spirits. And I'm like, I don't even work with nature spirits. I don't, I don't work with nature spirits. Why am I going to sit here on a podcast and talk to you guys about nature spirits? Because that is an actual thing. We talked about atomism, but I don't do it myself. And I'd rather have somebody on that does it. So it's like, if I don't do it, why am I talking about it? Because I'd sit here and be like, Chelsea, tell me what you know about nature spirits. I couldn't tell you shit, you know? And like, what an uncomfortable position that would be in. Like, that's why I say, like, I always like to give real life examples. Um, You know, like even with the cult of Dionysus, like, yeah, we talked about the history, but you in your own way can kind of relate to like the death and life happening within yourself in your own way. And yeah, it is like a really hard thing to come to and figure out when you are going on a journey. And this, this is really the path to enlightenment, not that love and light bullshit people are talking about. Yeah. And I also think, you know, with this weekend being Easter and everything, it is like kind of perfect timing in a sense. It is. It's all about death, rebirth, all of that. But even, you know, reaching that ecstasy and that ecstatic state, but then having a good cry after, you know, for those who um, do celebrate Easter and, you know, are part of Abrahamic religion, like think about kind of like that catharsis you feel on Easter Sunday. And it's so much rejoice and happiness. And that is really what is... um what the Dionysus cult has. It's 
the pomp, it's the parade, it's putting on the show in this festival that yes, while he is the god of theater and wine, you are meshing both sides of yourself. So he is just such a fascinating character that he has so much duality and is often, you know, only understood as just like the an alcoholic god, which he's not. Yeah, no, I there's so much more to him. And that's why I, I I mean, I loved this whole episode today and really getting to the bottom of it. Um, but speaking of Easter, I did I did post like um a QA on my yeah. personal stories. And I think it would be kind of cool if we took this and ran with it a little bit of I did get some questions because I was talking about um Italian folk and like saints on my stories. And I was like, you know, if you have any questions, let me know. And I just want to let you guys, I'm learning alongside of you. I am no expert. Um, I have worked through a lot of my religious trauma and I know 10 has as well. So we could sit here and talk about it. And like I said, I'm never going to shit on Abrahamic religion ever. Like, yeah, you got questions on religious trauma. I'm your girl. (laughs) But, um, so someone did ask me, which I did answer on my stories is, can you still be a witch and still honor mother Mary? And absolutely. You absolutely can. Um, Once again, I want to reiterate folk practices, you know, like they are practices and they don't a hundred percent identify as Catholicism, um, but they still follow Catholic tradition in their own way based on the rural region that they're from. So for example, Italian folk practice, I'm going, since I practice in the Sicilian way, I'm going to be practicing different from someone in Northern Italy because we have two different sets of wildlife, herbs that are outside, circumstances. Um, So we're going to be worshiping in different ways. That is what a folk practice is. But I'll repeat this again. If I would have called my great aunt a witch that was practicing Italian folk, which she didn't even categorize it as that, she would have been pissed off at me. Absolutely. So they like witches were always seen to be really evil at least in my familial practice and they were someone that like meant you harm and that's not to say that's like how she views me or people that practice witchcraft it's just a term and how that term is being used yes um so yeah long story short you can absolutely still honor mother mary but once again i pose to you the question what is your belief like is that we do you believe that that's okay is like yeah. She's fine with it. I know that. Like I still work with Mother Mary and I practice Hellenism and I do my own sorts of witchcraft that I don't even talk about. Um mm-hmm. so no. another one. Go ahead, Ten. I forget. <laughs> oh, it's gone. Um, I'll be honest, the thought train left the station. <laughs> let me see. I still believe in God, even though I worship pagan goddesses. Is that wrong or bad? And I wasn't gonna no. necessarily answer this question, but I think you need to decide if that's wrong or bad. I think a lot of people look to us to tell them what's right and what's wrong in a practice. And it's your practice. Mm -hmm. It's your practice. Now, I don't worship God. I don't worship Yahweh, the big G upstairs. Do I believe in that belief? Absolutely. Is it for me? Mm -hmm. No, I, I worship gods, multiple plural, but you need to find what works for you. And 10 and I could never be the ones to tell you like what's right or wrong with that. Absolutely. And I mean, if you're like, oh, I worship um, like the Abrahamic God, you know, there were Canaanite mm-hmm. goddesses. I mean, look at his consort. Um, he's often associated with Asherah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, is it for you? It could be. So it's not my place to be like, no, that's not true. Like, I think it's a little bit more soul searching of like, does this make sense to me? Um, if I enjoy, um, you know, following the path of God and I want to do things, um, because I love him and I also really enjoy worshiping these goddesses. I don't see why not. Yeah. Also 
to reiterate that point, ask yourself why you're doing things. Mm -hmm. Why are you doing things? Are you doing this because someone posted something really cool on the internet and you think that's going to work for you? Because I can tell you everyone's practice is very different. So make sure what you're doing it, you're doing it with heart. And this once again goes back to the last episode we did in the episode on Patreon. Why are we doing certain things? Are we doing it because we want to do it? Are we doing it because it's our belief? Like, is that what you actually believe? Like, I literally believe that Hades is the underworld and that's where I'm going in the afterlife. Do I believe yes. in other afterlives? Yes. But like, what, where do you stand and what do you believe? And sometimes it changes. And last question before we wrap up, someone did ask me specifically, how do I balance working with Hellenic gods and then my, my folk practice? And this is where my beliefs switched. You know, I ran so far away from Catholicism because of the people that were teaching it that I didn't want anything to do with it. But then when I found out my family was practicing, I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. And I've never felt so connected to my ancestors, you know, but it doesn't work for everybody that way. So I want to make this clear. My gods that I worship are okay with me studying an ancestral folk practice and vice mm -hmm. versa, as long as they remain separate. Correct. You know, as long as I'm doing my offerings and celebrating Hecate's Depnon, I'm still working with the Hellenic gods. It kind of reminds me what you said about like the um, city states and the um, the state religion the state versus religion. mystery cults. Yeah. The state religion, like I'm using that uh, analogy of like, as long as you are still doing your duty and like what you agree to, you can go ahead and explore other things. Absolutely. And I, I don't that. think the gods are very like, um, not familiar with that considering the mystery cults, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, oh God, Pluto has woken. <laughs> oh no, we have woken the Kraken. <laughs> so, um, and, and the saints that I work with are completely okay with me and my belief system. So once again, what do you believe? Yeah, that's a great question to ask yourself. What do you believe? What do you follow? Um, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in the future to dive into the forgotten women of the Bible. I've been waiting a minute to talk about Mother Mary and un unleash my whole feminine rage that's been building up over the years of how the Catholic Church leaves out feminine figures for people. They really do. They don't like Mary's always just talked about as a mother, but she is so much more than that than that to me. She is so fierce. She's a survivor. Like she was pregnant as a child. Yeah, I could pop off about Mary all day, but like. It just makes me think of Labor by Paris Paloma, that song. Mm -hmm. Oh, and yeah. All the, the, the saints the, and women of the church. The cult of the virgin. It's it's incredible. Her iconography growing from the Italian Renaissance to the um, Northern European Renaissance. Do not and, eat that. And Sorry. how she is portrayed in artwork and how she changes it's oh I can't wait to dive in I also can't wait to go off about Judith slaying Holofernes and Asherah love them all I'm here for it I know so with that um actually we got to end this episode but we're going to be diving more into some Catholic things throughout the year it's not just going to be Hellenism um mm -hmm. touching saints every once in a while because my practice is actually evolving and growing. So, so is our podcast and whatever we're practicing, I'm always going to talk about if I can. Um, but I want to thank everyone for listening today. We have, by the way, be checking the metaphysical story because Ten and I have been cooking up some crazy shit that we're going to be 
launching. Um, we are expanding so much more. We actually opened an apothecary. I know there's only three items in it right now. It's on our metaphysical store site under the apothecary tab. But mm -hmm. when I tell you, it is going to be a haunted apothecary like you've never seen before. All I'm saying is before the summer solstice collection, there's a darker part of spring that's about to come out. Yeah. You know, we just weren't going to hit you with a one-time spring collection. You know, there's going to be two and it's going to be dark, dark. Like, and I will leave you dark. with one herb, belladonna. <laughs> I'm like, damn, I'm afraid to sell belladonna. <laughs> oh, I was just saying that's the theme. That's the vibe. Yeah, you're also going to be seeing some more Italian folk things in the store, too, that I have been working with alongside of my ancestors. Um, things that I can share that I do that I can sell to you to use um, with instructions. So, you know, be on the lookout. We have a lot of exciting things. But once again, thank you for being here. Thank you for support. We'll see you next time on the next episodes of Sticks and Bones with Chelsea and 10. Bye, everybody. Bye.